word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. The key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Man, I am a lucky guy, and I'm going to be honest, everybody. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I want to have conversations with people that I've uh, I've synced up with in the past and continue to follow and just become a fan over time of what they're doing. And most of the time, they are creative individuals that continue to push the boundaries and are not afraid of conversations that art and creativity yield. And so with that, I'm so excited to bring back did an article on Rich. Uh, gosh, it feels like a long time ago, Rich, but it's not been that long. This is Rich too. Let me give you a little background on Rich. His background is, as the young people would say, sick. Uh, <laughs> I know coming from me, that does not sound terribly cool, Rich. Uh, he's first generation Filipino American and award-winning designer and artist residing in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. He's a partner and executive creative director at Sunday Afternoon. Previously, he held Creative leadership roles at Jones, Knowles, Ritchie, MTV Entertainment Group, and Nike. Uh, you've been, you know, you've received an incredible amount of awards. Your collaborators include the New York Times, a New Yorker, Mini, Nike, A24, Budweiser, Paramount, Adidas, Converse, G-Shock, American Express, NPR, North Face, uh, Coca-Cola, Verizon, Skype, Fuse TV, Alfa Romeo, Bombay Sapphire, Hamilton the Musical, and it's like the list goes on and on and on. And He's exhibited at art galleries and festivals in New York, Los Angeles, Berlin, and Miami. And he is now, uh, I know we're going to talk about this current exhibit, I believe it is going on as we speak, as we're recording, called Human Response. Uh, Rich, are you getting any sleep these days? Oh my gosh, uh, what a loaded question. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get some sleep, to be honest. Like, you know, the a, a big part of me is... I'm a recovering workaholic, right? Um, and uh, I, honestly, like the show was a big focus of mine, not to jump too far in for like the past seven, eight, nine months, you know, it kind of started about a year ago in totality. But uh, yeah, I've, I've, I really gave myself the time, energy and headspace to really like, you know, drill deep on that one. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a long nap soon. I'll let Soon. you know. <laughs> Keep you posted on that one, Rod. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's talk about let's talk about human response. Um, I was thinking about you just in advance of our conversation, and I was thinking about how somebody. I'm using creativity very broadly, broad strokes here, but I'm curious as to what motivates you. Sort of what what turns the dial for you in a way that says, "All right, this is going to be the next project." To your point, that I'm going to dedicate the next, let's say, seven, eight, nine months to, and. In that, how do you equate, in essence, what is going to be success or what will that look like? You know, because I think that that can, if we talk about traditional entrepreneurs, there are a lot of great ideas, but it doesn't mean we pursue them because we don't think that the market's ready. We don't think there's funding, right. a, a litany of reasons. But I find that artists, and maybe this is for better or worse, are a little bit different, right? It's, man, you get something that just spurs you on and you jump fully into it. Um, regardless of whatever the outcome may or may not be, or or maybe it holds you back. Tell me about your process in deciding what to pursue and not so that you can keep being creative, keep being you. Yeah, wow, what a great question. You know, it, it's, a, it's a few different things that like a, a criteria 
that I that I put together in order to like really think about what the next project's going to be, especially when you know I'm going to mentally, even physically devote my full self to it, right? And I spent the majority of my career being a commercial artist. I started out with um, a lot of um, you know um, personal fine art, if you will, aspirations. Like I think a lot of creatives do, and I've done those things, and I've exhibited a few different spaces, but I hadn't quite gone through the personal journey of it all in a few years, not since about 2012. Um, I exhibited um, a, a series of works or like large scale drawings in 2012. The series is called There Will Be No Survivors. They're like very cheeky black and white drawings, but a bit kind of rooted in a humorous way. Not going to lie, there's humor to it. Uh, rooted in the um, like apocalyptic thinking of the uh, that was surrounding the the mind calendar of the time right like kind of think 2012 like john cusack movie right oh yeah so i th that was a bit of like a zeitgeist thing that i just wanted to tap into um using like some humorous sensibilities and then i'd put that part of my my creative approach um at this scale aside you know in order to you know kind of go through like you know that the career journey that you kind of highlighted like in the beginning um and uh a lot of the things that drive me in that commercial space are, you know, the, the the players involved, like what the size, scale, scope, the level of risk, and even the things that, um, you know, um, what what's the what's the failure ratio? Like, is there, you know, I I, I enjoy going to casinos every once in a while, so I, I think like what is what is that risk, right? That kind of gets me excited, kind of gets me up in the morning, so. The, for the show, a uh, human response that's on at 368, or it's a dot gallery, it's at uh, 370 rather, uh, Broadway in Soho, 368. Um, it's kind of a um, a legacy of uh, the space that Casey Neistat started um, a few years ago. Um, so that's where it is, and they, they they've been so gracious and um, welcoming me into their home, into their house, if you will, uh, for this um, for their gallery space. Um, a bit of that show, like what kind of got my my energy started was the the passing of my father actually a year ago. Um, he passed away. His one year anniversary is on June 26th. And uh, he was 83 years old. He was about to be 84. And, uh, you know, I started utilizing um, AI, artificial intelligence, um, for those who live under rocks. <laughs> uh, so, there, there are so a few I, out there. I'm sure. I'm sure there are. Um, so I, I started using AI at the time as a form of um, mental health and therapy, just having these conversations because they're very free form, um, like, you know, like text based conversations. I'll do them on my phone. I'll do them on my laptop at like late night. And, uh, you know, just in order to tap into some sort of other type of broader conversation where I felt that there was something responding, if that makes any sense. I know it's like artificial intelligence, so in theory it should respond. But, you know, I wanted to feel like there was someone on the other side of this um, and also tapping into the the concept of a person um, when they, after they've passed. Like, how do you, how do you formulate new thoughts, feelings, ideas, um, you know, memories of a person, especially one that you've cared for, you know, for my 42 years of life. So I, uh, 
I started having these conversations and like if anyone's used chat GBT or Jasper or, you know, whatever other um, prompt based um, chat bot exists, especially there are a ton of them now, um, all those conversations are, um, you know, preserved and cataloged essentially within the platform. So I started seeing like, man, I got a I got a telephone book of this. Um, of like what what was starting to amount to catharsis as well as processing my grief. And then I thought, you know, I it would be really, it seemed compelling uh, to to assemble it into a narrative and also to to challenge myself at the end of the day. You know, like I'm not a terribly um religious person, if that makes any sense, but I grew up very um, religious or within a family that was religious. Like you said, first generation Filipino and anyone that knows, especially like, you know, immigrant families, like the religion tends to be a very big part of that, that upbringing and that like, you know, like the, what holds the family unit together. So I, I wanted to assemble something that had a bit of those flavors to it. And also, um, documented and cataloged my catharsis and my my process if you will so i assembled um what became um about 10 10 and a half minutes of voiceover from a script i just assembled a script of what these conversations were but more of a truncated version of it um and then um from that script and from that conversation i quantified my emotional response, essentially my human response, which is a play on hashtag AI generated, right? So there's a bit of like, you know, uh, a, a lot of those, um, those creative and marketing skills I, was, I brought to the table on it. Um, I, I, I assembled all those emotional responses into a stream of consciousness, which became about 180 words, individual words that I uh, assembled into a 10 and a half minute short film that's in the space. And then I extracted about seven keywords, death, genesis, warmth, um, renewal, um, dream, like words that tapped into uh, more of a universal feeling of loss, grief, and also what that catharsis feels like. And then that is those words became typographic compositions that decorate the gallery space. Um, and then they also exist as augmented reality filters, essentially living um, living sculptures in the space. So every word, uh, let me know if, uh, let me know so if every word anybody. is represented, like, uh, yeah. is represented by a sculpture or some piece of art. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So let, exactly. I think exactly. I'm tracking Rich, and but I want to back. Three layers of reality. Yeah. So you, you went out there. So, and I'm sorry for your loss of your father. So your, your father passes and you want to have in essence conversations that you're sort of yes. putting out into the universe. Is that, is that fair? Yes. So you yes. were recording yourself or texting yourself or putting it and then taking those texts and sticking them into like a chat GBT or into an AI platform that would then respond to you. Uh, basically. Yeah. I put my dad's obituary into, into the AI. So that became like the source of truth. Like here, here's here's what we know is true, like factually true. And then um, I based my conversations around that. And then I started asking AI, like, well, tell me stories about this person who you have like this limited knowledge set. And it would like respond this limited back with a narrative. It would respond back with a narrative. Like, you know, uh, tell me about my dad's life. Um, make my dad's story happier. Like, what does it feel like if my dad did this? What does it feel like if my dad did that? Is my dad in heaven? Is my dad in hell? Like, I would ask all these really big questions 
and allow myself to be vulnerable um, with with this otherworldly force as in AI. So you would, so this is fascinating because I, and I'll get it wrong and maybe people can look it up, but I believe it's on Netflix. And I think it's a documentary called like earth storm or storms. And it's like a series of like mini docs on storms that have just devastated certain parts of our planet. And there was one in, I can't remember if it was a tsunami or whatever in Japan, but they had, they had put up a telephone booth where survivors or family members of those that that had perished could go and pick up the phone. And this one elderly gentleman, he would go on a, I don't think it might've been a daily basis. And he would go in this telephone booth and basically call his wife. Right. And it was this process of going and, and just picking up a phone that didn't have a dial phone, dial tone and in essence reenacting a conversation. So am I oh tracking and just sort of, sort of the experience that he was having maybe and what that did for him and what you were, you were doing obviously an updated version baked in technology um, with AI, but man, it's screams of similarities to me. Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. Like, yeah, definitely. Like there's, there's a lot of connection points there, especially I think what that person you're talking about, what they were seeking, I think is akin to what I was seeking as well. What did you learn about yourself? I mean, I'm wondering about, you know, I, I was going to ask you as you were starting and then I thought, well, wait a minute, that's sort of going off in a different tangent, but maybe it does apply. I was wondering where sort of insecurity, how close to the surface is insecurity when it comes to the way in which you think creatively? And I can only imagine, I lost my father over a decade ago, but I can only imagine that if I'd gone through a process like that and I had sort of seeded a platform with this information tied to, let's say, the obituary, the kinds of conversations that would happen and whether my my uh, analytical brain would say, well, that's not true or that doesn't make sense in the response that I'm getting, like would I allow that to seep in? And then how would that, in essence, change the DNA, the sort of the spirituality maybe that I feel or don't feel towards that relationship and then the resulting impact of that? Talk a little bit about yeah. sort of being vulnerable in a space, because to your point, to be an artist and to be creative, you've got to be vulnerable, I would imagine, to some extended, right, um, manner so that you can feel and relate to whatever it is you're creating. But what was the impact to you? Wow, that's a great question. Um, well, I walked in the door of like, at least the conversation door, even before I thought it was going to be a show, I, I didn't treat AI like it was my father, if that makes sense. I didn't say like, hey, you're my father. Tell me something. It was more like, tell me about this person. So that was a bit of a rule that I put my, I, I it was established a early. Yeah, it was a, exactly. It was a framework for it um, in order to, yeah, like have conversations about this person I felt, I, I felt tremendous like loss about. Um, and then when I started conceptualizing it as a show, I, I tapped into a really good friend of mine. His name is uh, Che Morales, and he's a uh, he's our curator, and he's curated for like a lot of great artists. He's worked with you know, like individuals like Chantel Martin or Anna Park or Heather Day. He's also um, uh, curated for a, a lot of prestigious galleries in New York City and Chelsea and Soho. You know, he was he kind of helped Sherpa me through I think the the actual show of it all, the exhibit of it all. And he really pulled out of me uh, the level of vulnerability. I'd stepped in from a from a very tactical, practical. I think the show can be this. I think it can look like this. 
It can be um, typographic and also feature these compositions. And maybe there's a technological angle to it. I was thinking about it like, like back in when I was at MTV or back when I was at Nike, it was like, hey, it could look like this thing. I'm going to take, I'm going to over-intellectualize it. I'm going to take all my emotion out of it. Let's talk about milestones and how to get it done, right? <laughs> um, but then uh, Che really pulled out the emotional core of it. It's like, you know, you really have to tell the viewer and tell your audience, like, this is how you got here. Like, let's let's start with the emotional core of my dad's obituary. And that's actually displayed at the, um, at the um, gallery. So that's kind of like part of the, the beginning of the linear journey. And then we kind of uh, put up some didactic materials that allow for not just the, the framework of why these words resonate and also why I thought the conversations mattered, but also the, uh, the script in and of itself um, in order to show with my prompts and the prompts that he pushed me towards having um, using the most vulnerable prompts, like, is my dad in heaven or hell is, am I, tell me I'm a good son. Tell me, tell me those things. So like that, that part was a bit new to me. It was a bit foreign and um, a bit uncomfortable at times, but I was so glad because now I look at it on the walls, I look at it in space and it doesn't feel like I own it, if that makes any sense. When you, when yeah. you, no, go ahead. So if I'm with you, Rich, right. So the, it's obviously up now, the exhibit is up, but if, if I'm walking in with you, am I walking in with a son or an artist? Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now, back to our guest. I think you're walking in with an artist. Really? I think so you're walking with an artist. You have a yeah. healthy, well, not detachment, but maybe relationship to the space between you, your dad, and the art? Yes. I th now I do. Like when we were, if you saw all the behind the scenes of like putting the space up, like, you know, you'd probably see like all the, all the tea and hear all the tea. Yeah. Uh, but I had a, I had a, a crazy cathartic moment for the opening reception. We opened up on uh, Friday. Um, it, there was a bit of a, a doom cloud situation that happened last Wednesday that went pretty viral. We had to, we had to move our opening reception a couple of days. Um, but on Friday, I had the craziest, cathartic, emotional response to the crowd in the space, telling them the background of the space. And then I just felt such a release. Um, and I was so grateful for it. You know, there is a bit of that indulgence, right? The space in and of itself is indulgent, but I feel that it's not self-indulgence, more like really providing the context. Um, and then every time I've gone in since, it feels as I'm an observer within the space in and of itself. So I really think you're walking in with, with an artist. I mean, I'll tell you, of course, I am my father's son and my relationship to the material, but um, I do, it feels very, very healthy now. It does feel healthy now. Yeah. What, what do you think the impact is going to be on future projects? I mean, because it sounds like, you had a bit of a muse in Shay, right? In helping to support or to, to extract maybe some more vulnerable pieces from you so that maybe the authentic elements of the art could come out and be represented. Um, are you willing to take more risks? You talked about going to Vegas, right? And, and sort of playing your hand <laughs> at the table, right? But that may be a little bit different in your art, 
um, right. where you're being evaluated, where people are watching, they're getting sort of an inside behind the scenes look. And this is a very intimate portrayal. I would imagine you could potentially argue that it's as much about you as it is your dad or more about you could be a fair either critique or observation or question walking into the human response. Yeah, I think it's about um, challenging myself for sure. Uh, but I also think it's about the the challenge to the creative industry as a whole. You know what I what I liked about the the framework of the show, where there's a a film component, and also there's an augmented reality component, as well as like the physical build of the space. It it forced me to pull in all of my creative disciplines into one project, right? And um, I'm a bit of a maniac in that way. I was like, I just want to like, well, if we just maximize this whole thing. So, I mean, I look at like the impact it has on, on the creative industry, at least with my peers, where, you know, I, I want to see them push themselves. Like I want to, you know, selfishly um, uh, put myself against, on, against them too and see like, well, can you, could you do something like this? And if so, how can I learn and be inspired by you, you know, um, to all the other designers and artists, as well as the individuals that want to put themselves out there in that, like, you know, vulnerable, emotional way. Um, I think also when it comes to my own work, I think the the further, the deeper effects it's going to have are um, pushing the the tech of it all. Like I'd done augmented reality before, but, you know, very simple, like more commercial based work. This is the first time I'd really seen um, a convergence of technology on um and design and also traditional forms of art brought together in one space but really related to artificial intelligence in this way and i'm sure there's going to be so much more we are in that era of artificial intelligence so this is probably one of the first drips in like what's going to be like a stream and eventually a waterfall um but i i i like the idea of of time stamping this technological moment that we're in and then seeing how that progressed, because I want to keep going more, maybe with a different subject, um, but you know, it's, it's like bigger, bigger and and scope and scale is like the ultimate goal. I, that's so curious that you're willing to dive deeper, because I think the general public would think about artists that specialize in different forms of art. That in essence, that's their that's their thing, and to go beyond that, they do run the risk of not being in essence, I guess, received well viewed as talented in that space. It's like, if I'm in watercolors, I'm in watercolors. <laughs> if I'm in sculpture, right, I'm in sculpture. If I'm in film, I'm in film. If I write, I write. Um, right. You think that this is indicative of a new wave of potentially the younger generation that has a better grasp on, in essence, themselves within their own space and to include digital spaces? Because I think my generation, I'm just a, a tick older than you, is I don't think we kind of grew up with that individual kind of voice, right? We were sort of part of a mold. It was, you still thought about nine to five. You still, like I grew up in Detroit. It was still like, do you work for a supplier to the big three? It wasn't about being an entrepreneur or going out and venturing within your own voice for your own voice uh, for the purposes of creating something new and different. You're a little bit different, obviously being an artist in that regard, but I'm just wondering if you represent sort of the minority or a growing majority of artists that are saying, it is changing and damn, I'm excited about it. Even if I might fall or fail a couple of ways, uh, you know, sort of towards my, my end goal. I sure hope it's the latter, you, do. you know, like, uh, yeah, for sure. Like I, I kind of came up as, um, 
valuing authorship or individual authorship, even when it came to a commercial space. So like there's always that level of risk and also that that personal approach. But at the same time, I've always chased my curiosity and wanting to change the format that I operated in, you know, either by virtue of being asked and then finding something I was interested in or just having an intentional, um, wanting an intentional pivot. Like even when I uh, worked at Nike for a couple of years and started doing footwear, that was, you know, Nike asked me if I wanted to live in Beaverton, Oregon. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then I I learned the ways of um, of footwear design. Or and even when I went to MTV, I hadn't done entertainment in quite a number of years, and I hadn't really done like television, episodic television, or you know by virtue of that, large events like the Video Music Awards and you know things like that. And then that you know that piqued my interest as well. So I've always wanted to. Uh, I like to pivot every few years and do something like large and impactful. Uh, so like this is a this is also trying to tap into that sensibility about myself. So do you get an itch when it comes like is there a, do you kind of look back and say, man, every three years or every four years, like how does that work? And is it that you're running from something or towards something? Oh, whoa. <laughs> what? <laughs> whoa, whoa, what a deep question. Damn, Rod. I didn't know we were gonna go there. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I don't know. You know, it's probably a little bit of both. I'm always trying to chase my my graduate school experience i was just talking to someone about this the other day like i i spent two years at the school of visual arts learning from the great um artist illustrator marshall arisman and for those that don't know he absolutely brilliant he passed away last year actually another father figure that passed away very recently and he did the original book cover to american psycho um wow. from brett meeson ellis and also he did a very iconic magazine cover from the early 80s um with darth vader on it like if anyone watched the show freaks and geeks then the main character opens up his locker at the beginning of every episode there's a time cover with um darth vader on it because they're all, all a bunch of like geeks like marshall did that cover as well his work has very emotional um um kind of like francis bacon-esque energy so um, I learned under Marshall for two years, as well as like a, a bunch of other amazing creatives, educators, and they pushed me so hard, um, not just in terms of process and creative approach, but also kind of showed me the ways of personal authorship that I've always seeked that type of experience, either by putting myself in a new setting, a, um, you know, like learning from a new community or kind of, you know, jumping headfirst into a new project. And um, whether that's like, you know, large identity, like working on, the Paramount Global rebrand, um, like I was doing um, for a majority of last year, or you know, kind of setting up and establishing the Human Response Show. It's so you know, I know this is a podcast, so people won't potentially see the video of this. But when I asked you that, if you're running from something or towards something, like the physical response you had was fantastic, uh, and incredibly human of you, as we talk about AI and technology and sort of represent representing our human experience. Do you think it's kind of necessary? You know, it's like yesterday, and I'm breaking the, the cardinal rule of podcasting or radio where I'm time stamping. But yesterday I was spent time uh, with Bobby Bones, the, you know, from American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, uh, youngest to be inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame. And he talked about sort of that underdog status. He's had that his whole life. He came from a very uh, impoverished environment in Arkansas. And yet, like I walk away from spending time with him going, he's got to have that as part of his sort of mojo. Like it's, 
if he sort of realizes the success that he's accomplished, that could potentially impact the way in which he sort of moves forward. In essence, we, you know, that's what I love about the push pull of a creative is I can see it even just in our zoom, Rich. It's like, you want to push the bounds, but man, you don't want to forget the past because without that, it's, there's a symbiotic relationship. Can you feel when that symbiotic relationship between what you want and what you've come from are either out of balance or are getting too close? I think that, well, one, I agree. I totally agree. Like there is that symbiotic relationship for sure. I feel like I could lose it at any moment. I don't know. Do you feel the same way? I think that, uh, or I have like this in, innate fear that um, my creative abilities will either disappear or something will something will flip. So I, I've spent the past few years like really trying to maximize every single moment. And maybe that was a thing for my dad too, because he was an architect. So he maximized a ton. He taught me a lot about creativity. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm always just trying to push. And um, anyone that I look up to, they've had this zone of just, you know, creative output where there was like either a decade, two decades, three decades. I think the 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 ones that we love I keep it going for as far as possible. But it's about frequency and length for me, for sure. Can you relax? And is there a period of time where if you truly shut it down, whatever that means to you, that you start to feel uncomfortable because you feel like you might lose that edge or that creative eye? I am the worst at taking vacations. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do not know how to take a vacation. Uh, just for a little bit of backstory on that too. So um, I had a role last year at a awesome branding and identity firm. Um, but I felt that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best mix of parts, right? So I chose to step away after a year and I've since found a great home at Sunday afternoon, but I want a sabbatical, technically quote unquote sabbatical for six months. Um, so I left in the beginning of January and, but with intent, we kind of like, I was also intently choreographing what my next move was going to be. I think I knew it and a lot of people knew it. Um, but I wasn't collecting checks for six months. Longest time I hadn't, I had been quote unquote out of work. Um, and uh, in that entire time, and I had the intent of traveling, going around the world, spending, you know, time with my fiance and, you know, kind of working on the show, uh, which ended up being a massive undertaking a job in and of itself. Uh, but the entire time I kept thinking, okay, what's the next thing? How am I going to keep myself busy working on this show? I was just, you know, on the phone all the time, on the computer all the time. It it was, it's nonstop. And I, I wonder, I genuinely wonder if that part will subside in me, like, or, or what, what is that path? What does that journey even look like? Um, yeah. For, for very specific story, I spent some time in uh, Orlando with the intent of going to Disney World and Universal Studios, <laughs> right? My family used to go there all the time when I was a kid. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to go to a shit ton of theme parks. I don't know if I can curse. Well, I'm going to a bunch you of can. theme parks. That That's the way to relax. And the entire time I was still on my phone trying to put together this show. I was like, I just don't know how to, how to chill out, dude. It's so interesting because I think about young kids and I think about how they are so overprogrammed and scheduled. It's almost like if they don't have something in an afternoon, especially especially in the in the suburbs of America, it's like something's wrong if they don't have something planned. Yet, if I was to say, gosh, I want another generation of rich twos out there, right? Sort of this next gen, and you're still obviously a very young guy, it's like, 
I want them to have some creative space and freedom of right. thought and time. But man, that's something in our culture, especially in America, that we I don't think we celebrate in a way where we carve it out, we respect it and say, you know what? Sometimes it's okay to watch paint dry, literally. <laughs> it's a joke yeah. with kids when they get like, they don't have a screen. It's like, man, why don't you watch paint dry? They think I, it's like, no, seriously, like just relax. It's okay. In 1987, I promise you, dad wasn't on a screen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I, now I'm, I'm a bit more conscious. Like before, like when I was um, a person manager, creative manager earlier in my career, I don't know how you've been, but like earlier in my career, I let my, my intensity affect the, the people around me. Yeah, but now I've been really good. I've tried to be good about compartmentalizing, like my my personal my my headspace, and not letting that be like, hey, just because I operate like this doesn't mean that you need to operate like this. And that's been actually very intentional for me. I think since ooh, it's like 2016, 2017, I started really, really doing that. Where it's like, hey, if I send you an email, if I send you like a Slack message at six in the morning or 1am or something, please ignore me until this. I have to, I have to put in parentheses, <laughs> ignore this until this time. I just have to say this thing. You know, I, I, I could go on for hours with you. I think you are terribly fascinating, very engaging um, and inspirational on so many levels. I want to make sure that people can learn more about human response and sort of where they can either get sort of a taste of it, even if they can't make it to New York. Uh, where should they go, Rich? They can go to a dot gallery and it's at 370 Broadway in Soho, New York City. Uh, the last day of the exhibit is Saturday, June 24th. Um, it is an immersive exhibit about processing grief um, in the era of artificial intelligence and it features a film, physical pieces, as well as, well as augmented reality works. So um, I think you can spend probably a good 30 minutes in this like, you know, kind of a small 2000 square foot um, little um, gallery, so to speak. So yeah, like, and also one of the goals is to kind of take it around and show it around. I think it's a space that can sit within, um, you know, like the Brooklyn Museum, if you will, like the build is really fantastic. And I'm not saying that because like I was a part of it, but really the team came together. There was about a small army, about 15 people that really physically contributed either their creative talents or we're physically putting up walls. Like literally it's a custom build, brand new walls. There's a unique um, viewing box experience that's meant for like a very personal um, space. So yeah, I really encourage those that are in this in the area to check it out. Man, keep being you, Rich. Uh, huge, huge fan of you and what you're doing. Um, you inspire me. Likewise. And uh, I'm super pumped for people to check out uh, Human Response and to obviously to stay, you know, in touch and see kind of what what's on the platter for you next, because I have no doubt that there are ideas spinning around. Uh, you can check out also rich2.com, um, get them on social media, incredibly entertaining um, and informative in so many ways. Once again, I want to thank Rich2. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Burr. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. <laughs>